A whole bunch more movement on the Missouri basketball front. Two additions, one subtraction, and I definitely like the prospects for one of these additions a lot more than the other. Plus, my uncle over this Easter weekend asked me a rather direct question. Is Eli Drinkwitz a good football coach? Well, I'm going to answer that question a whole bunch of different directions coming up right now on Locked on Mizzou. You are Locked on Mizzou, your daily podcast on the Missouri Tigers, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey all you true sons and daughters, I'm John Miller, your Mizzou mafioso and the central scrutinizer of Missouri Tigers football and basketball, and thanks for joining me once again. Thanks for making this your first listen, and thanks for telling a friend. We are free and available on all platforms. And before, actually, before we get to the movement on the Missouri basketball front, it is official. You may have heard this already. We talked about it a little bit before the news was official, but the Missouri football season opener against Louisiana Tech, it is going to be Thursday now, September 1st, instead of Saturday, two days earlier. Going to be on ESPNU, a 7 p.m. kickoff. And as I've said before, I think this is all positive for the Tigers. I think it'll allow the students in particular to hang around, maybe not jet out for that three-day weekend too early. Hopefully, Stick around, have a good time at the Mizzou football opener. A little night game, maybe get a little tailgating in early, but especially exposure-wise, too. Not nearly as many games are going to be happening on that Thursday as opposed to the opening Saturday. So to me, win-win all the way around for the Tigers. And by the way, Desiree Reed-Francois made mention of this as well. This is a competitive advantage, too, because if you're going to have a Thursday night football game, Make it the first game of the season. Gives you two extra days to prepare for week two, which is a pivotal game for this 2022 campaign in Manhattan, Kansas, against the Kansas State Wildcats. That's one the Tigers need to win. If they're going to hit 500 next year and for sure secure a bowl spot at the very least, I think Kansas State's probably a game you're going to want to win just looking at that schedule. Not a whole lot of gimmies coming next year in the SEC outside of maybe Vanderbilt. So with that out of the way, let's talk some Tiger basketball. And boy, just a, a continual revolving door of players here so far in the Dennis Gates era. Lots of players coming, lots of players going. Well, another former Cleveland State guy, Demoy Hodge, has committed to Missouri, reuniting with Gates, and of course, previously signed Trey Gomillion from Cleveland State as well. Hodge is a guy that I'm pretty excited about. He seems like a really solid two-way player, a guy who can score it a little bit, a guy with good size that can definitely play some defense as well. So I think a really nice addition to this roster. Now, on the other hand, you've got Sean East, who frankly, I'm just a little bit less excited about. Now, on one hand, Missouri absolutely needed to add a ball handler. We all know this, right? And I think Sean East definitely fills the, fits, fits that description. He's a guy certainly who can get the ball up court, get you into your offense, and statistically, his last season at Bradley, well, he was among the top 150 or so nationally in terms of assist rate. So he does seem like a pure point guard, one that Missouri certainly needed on its roster last season. But you know what? I thought Caleb Brown was a guy who could competently, for the most part, 
dribble the ball up court, and get Missouri into its offense. The problem is when Caleb Brown actually had to do something with the basketball and score with it, well, he didn't have a lot of answers to that question. Unfortunately, I have those some of those same questions about Sean East so far. Because again, he played one season at UMass, one season at Bradley. Now last season he was in junior college, so obviously a very well-traveled young man, but there's just not a lot of statistical evidence that he's a good offensive player. He's not a proficient three-point shooter. He's not particularly adept at finishing around the rim either, and I just worry a little bit at 6'3", 175, I wonder how that's going to translate to the SEC level. I, I'm starting to think, getting some some reminders of Drew Bugs a little bit. Now, don't get me wrong, East is a bigger man than Drew Bugs. certainly quite a bit taller than Bugs by maybe five, six inches, but I do worry that he's not going to be able to maybe get those shots off at the rim, sort of like Bugs did as well. Not just Bugs didn't really have a lot of answers offensively. And I think that may be a problem nationally in a lot of different areas, right? Even Kentucky had that problem last season. Savir Wheeler, their their transfer point guard from Georgia, well, he's about five foot ten, a good pure point guard. But again, somebody who can't really score the basketball at this level, especially in the paint. So again, to me, Demoy Hodge was an obvious get. I think he's a guy that Dennis Gates knows very well. I think he's a good two way wing. But Sean East, on the other hand, I think at this point in the process, I get it, right? Everybody wants ball handlers. The amount of true point guards available in college basketball these days seems to be dwindling by the year. So I think Missouri kind of got the best option that they could. And you might see that, okay, JucoRecruiting.com did have East as the number two ranked junior college recruit after Drum roll, please, Missouri's Mohamed Diara. But you know what? The JUCO ranks just aren't quite what they used to be. And again, just going back to when he actually played Division I basketball at UMass and Bradley, I don't know. The East thing, I'm just I'm a little bit skeptical at this point that he's really going to be a, a starting caliber point guard that we can count on for 25, 30 minutes a night. That one seems, at this point to me, I could be wrong. I'll, I'll see what happens when he actually steps on campus and see how he really fits into the roster. But right now, as far as Sean East goes, I'm a little bit skeptical. And by the way, obviously this is a primarily a Missouri football and basketball show, but I think I would be remiss if I didn't give a congratulations out to the gymnastics program for finishing fifth nationally in that sport. Really ran the gauntlet in the SEC, too, for those of you who don't know much about college gymnastics, and I'll raise my hand and, and admit to that, but I know enough to know that the SEC is really, really competitive at gymnastics. So for Missouri to do not only what they did nationally, but just in that conference alone, if you're going to be elite in that conference, well, apparently you're going to be elite nationally too. So just a really impressive job by that program finishing among one of the absolute elite teams in the nation this year. Again, fifth in the country, tip of the cap, and a job well done. That doesn't happen a lot at Mizzou, regardless of which program that it is. So those young ladies should be extremely proud of themselves, no doubt about that. And coming up, again, this past weekend, I was asked a very direct question about Eli Drinkwitz. So let's stop beating around the bush. Let's figure out exactly where Eli stands, at least with me, 
through two seasons at Missouri. But first, I want to tell you about BetOnline.net, your number one source for all your betting stats and sports info. Of course, college basketball and college football are over, but BetOnline has you covered with the NBA playoffs, the NHL playoffs, of course, Major League Baseball is happening. And you know what? You've already got a little bit of equity if you took my advice and put 10 bucks on the Phoenix Suns to win the title. They were plus 260. Well, now they're plus 215. I got to say, if you're going to go free, true, true long shot to win the NBA championship Hey, put a buck on the Minnesota Timberwolves at 100 to 1. What the heck, right? I don't think it's going to happen. Don't get me wrong, but my goodness, Anthony Edwards is really emerging, isn't he? And, you know, let's face it the two favorites in the West, the Suns and the Warriors, do have some possible injury questions, some guys who have gotten hurt before. So let's not pretend like it's going to be a total cakewalk for either one of those teams. But regardless of what you're into, maybe it's maybe it's esports that you're in, you're into. Possibly MMA. Well, you got to head to betonline.net today. They've got you covered with all the odds, all the props, all the futures you could possibly want. So go there today. It's betonline where the game starts. Once again, be sure to check out Locked On NFL Draft live on April 28th at 6 o'clock in conjunction with the NFL Draft, of course, then on day two and three as well. Again, the Locked On NFL Draft YouTube page will have you covered there. And also starting today, Odyssey's NFL Mock Draft. Check that out there, the Locked On NFL Draft podcast feeds for all your mock draft needs. Hope you all had a lovely Easter weekend. I know we had a pretty successful gathering over at my house that went off without a hitch, I have to say. But during that gathering, my Uncle Bruce, who a big sports fan going back in the day, former Kansas City Chiefs season ticket holder. But you know what? He's a Blue Springs guy, but he'll follow follow the Tigers as well and certainly root for them. And you know what? He gave me a question that was so direct and to the point. I loved it because it made me stop and get out of the forest for a second and actually see the trees. My uncle Bruce asked me, is Eli Drinkwitz a good coach? Now, you don't get much more to the point than that. So it actually made me stop and ponder for a second. And I couldn't just, it made me realize I couldn't just say, give a full-throated yes, absolutely. Eli Drinkwitz is an incredible football coach. Well, I can't go that far yet, but here's what I will say about Eli. I think if we keep recruiting at this level, the Tigers keep recruiting at a top 15, top 25 type level, perhaps even better, right? According to some metrics, but every single season for the next year, two, three years going forward, I think you got to just stay the course because eventually talent is what wins out. Because As far as X's and O's go, as far as being a true innovator offensively, well, all that stuff has real value, but ultimately, who are the people who win national championships? Who are the people who win the Southeastern Conference? Well, it's teams like Georgia and Alabama who have the most talent. Let's be real. What, what, What has Nick Saban and Alabama innovated offensively, for instance, over the last 10, 15 years or so during their unprecedented run? 
Well, absolutely nothing whatsoever. In fact, I would say Alabama, before Lane Kiffin was brought into the fold as an offensive coordinator, if anything, they were behind the curve in terms of offensive innovation. So just how important it is to be the sort of genius play caller is sort of up for debate. I think you need it. It's definitely helpful at a place like Missouri, right? I've made the I've made the case many times that, in fact, that's one of the obvious reasons that the 2008-2007 Missouri run was incredibly successful. Not only do they have a great quarterback, but they were running a type of offense that, frankly, most people in the country just weren't running at the time. They were doing it quite successfully. So ultimately, while I think Eli Drinkwitz is absolutely a really good recruiter. It's hard to question that. And number one, that's the most important thing that a head coach can do. So that's a big plus in his column, right? But I have to admit, if you're a Missouri fan and you thought, well, this guy's going to come in and be an offensive innovator and a quarterback whisperer and and whatever cliche you want to throw out there, I wouldn't say there's an overwhelming amount of evidence that that's been true so far through two seasons. Now, in 2020, I really felt like Drinkwitz outcoached Ed Orgeron in LSU and Bo Pelini on the defensive side of the football, right? A really thrilling win for the Tigers that day in Columbia, no question about that. But you know, looking back on it, maybe outcoaching Bo Pelini isn't the most challenging thing in the history of college football. But still, that's a win, no question about it. I also thought the Drinkwitz outcoached Kentucky that year as well, and Mark Stoops, because, well, when he just decided, hey, forget about all this Kyle Shanahan adjacent offense that I like to run, let's just run the ball down Kentucky's throat because they can't stop it, and number number two, their offense doesn't have enough to keep up. We don't really need to do that much offensively to win this game. So to me, that was a win as a coach as well. But other than that, this past season, how about the 2021 season? How many games would you say that Drinkwitz absolutely outcoached his opponent? Maybe you could argue against Florida and South Carolina. I, I would argue more strongly that for the South Carolina game that Drinkwitz deserved a lot of credit in that ball game, especially with Connor Bazelak being seemingly limited with injury at quarterback, right? But other than that, I thought he got outcoached at least a couple times as well. Certainly, Mark Stoops got his revenge last year. I thought Missouri was outcoached in that game. Boston College, same deal. So to me, you're looking at a guy who for all the the talk of he's Again, this was when Missouri hired Drinkwitz. The talk was he's an offensive genius, he's a quarterback whisperer, all this kind of stuff. He calls his own plays, right? But so far, the the results, I would say, have been mixed. I don't think he's been bad. I also don't think he's been maybe what he was sold as either. Is, Is that fair? Do you think I'm being overly harsh with Drinkwitz? Because, again, I'm sticking with him. I'm not saying his seat is hot whatsoever. As long as the the four- and five-star recruits keep coming in at this pace, I think you you stay the course. There's no question about that to me. But when I'm asked a direct question, is he a really good football coach, I I just don't know that I can give you an absolute yes at this point. Hopefully after 2022, we'll have a better idea of that. But frankly, a lot of that is going to come down to, is he a quarterback whisperer or not? We've already seen that Drinkwitz has hired on a quarterback's coach, and maybe that's a good thing because 
I've often speculated in this space that at a certain point, if Drinkwitz is going to use so much of his time and resources personally to be a great recruiter, and I do think that's a good thing. He should That should be his number one priority. Well, the number two priority for the entire program has to be the quarterback position because that's the one thing that can derail this. It'll be one thing if maybe it doesn't work out this coming fall. But if Sam Horn just maybe isn't quite what we expect, well, suddenly Drinkwitz probably will find his seat getting a little bit hot. And I also think it's fair to question, at this point, Drinkwitz's management of the quarterback position at Missouri because I'm still asking myself and trying to connect the dots, how, how did we get to this point? Because on one hand, Drinkwitz seemingly would not give up on Connor Basilak last season, but Basilak left anyway. And yet, on the other hand, you now have your now presumptive starter, Brady Cook. Well, Drinkwitz has told us basically over and over again at every opportunity that he has that he basically hates Brady Cook as a quarterback. Doesn't make any sense to me, but that's what he keeps saying. So you know what? Let's dive even more deeply into the history of Eli with the quarterback position at Missouri, and let's try to actually connect some dots. Let's see if any of his decision-making actually makes any sense and gives us any confidence moving forward about his ability to judge and develop the most important position on the field. And we'll do that right after these quick messages. Now, in case you've forgotten, when Eli Drinkwitz arrived at Missouri, his first offseason of that 2020 campaign, well, Sean Robinson was his no doubt, number one starter heading into week one. And yet, by week two, Connor Basilak was the starter for Missouri, and eventually Sean Robinson would move to safety. So if you want to question that particular judgment, I wouldn't blame you at all, quite frankly. Though, for some context, let's not forget that Basilak was coming off a torn ACL the previous season, so certainly that must have factored in pretty heavily to the quarterback race in that offseason. And you could also say, well, you know, maybe Drinkwitz had the wrong guy at first, but at, le- at least he course corrected quickly and didn't double down on a sunken cost. I think it's fair to point that out as well. So obviously Basilak was his guy for 2020 and for 2021 as well, because in spite of the fact that Basilak got off to a pretty hot start his first few games, at least statistically, well, it seemed like we discussed this, right? Even Drinkwitz openly discussed this at a certain point. Basilak was clearly physically compromised at the very least. And yet, other than the Georgia game where apparently Basilak wasn't healthy enough to play, Tyler Macon gets the start, Brady Cook got a little bit of action as well, Basilak never came out. And in fact, probably despite the fact that it was very clear to just about everyone that Basilak was not only physically compromised, it seemed like his confidence was a bit shot as well. It seemed like his decision-making just wasn't the same that we had seen the first part of the 2021 season, certainly in 20, the 2021 season, also in the previous season as well. And again, to my point, the last game Missouri played, Basilak took every single snap against Arkansas, last game of the regular season, of course, 
And Basilak was just not effective at all. 10 of 26 for 65 yards. I mean, that is embarrassingly bad in modern college football. Just the idea that Missouri was basically, what, it was two and a half yards per pass completion? That is unbelievably bad. Okay? So... The fact that Eli Drinkwitz, under those circumstances, even still was like, eh, I'm still good with Brady. I'm still good with Basilak over Brady Cook or even Tyler Macon for that matter. Well, if that's the case, then why did Connor Basilak transfer? That's the thing I can't figure out. Because regardless of what you think of Connor Basilak's play last year, regardless of what I or anybody else thinks of Connor Basilak's play, obviously Eli thought he was the best quarterback on the roster. We can't question that whatsoever. So if that's the case, you got to assume he's the starter this coming year, right? Except, well, Basilak left, and he knew he was going to leave. He's told us this. He knew he was going to transfer even before Missouri's bowl game against Army. So what happened? Did did Drinkwitz sort of allude to the fact that, oh, I'm going to be going to the transfer portal, going to try to get some competition, I, I just don't understand why Basilak left unless, again, he just felt like, oh, there's no way I'm going to be able to start this coming year, except nothing that happened in the previous season indicated to me that that's the case at all. So somebody just help me make it make sense, right? And then also, how does it make sense that Tyler Macon, in retrospect, got the start against Georgia? Was that based on... He ran for a touchdown against Vanderbilt and the sideline went crazy. Was was that was that why Tyler Macon got the start? Because in retrospect, it was very obvious that Brady Cook was the better quarterback that day and also throughout the whole season. And right now I don't see anybody on the Mizzou beat, anybody, any fans questioning that that Macon should be ahead of Brady Cook on the depth chart right now. So again, that says to me another misevaluation, quite possibly, at quarterback by Eli Drinkwitz. So that brings us back to JT Daniels. I see a lot of people online saying, well, obviously, if, if Drinkwitz wanted Daniels over Cook, then obviously, essentially the conclusion is then, then everybody else with an opinion should shut up because, well, Drinkwitz must know best, right? But that's the thing. Does Drinkwitz know best? Do we have to do we have to just automatically assume and trust his judgment at the quarterback position right now? Because I'm not doing that. I'm not saying I'm 100 percent right about Cook. I I just I think Brady Cook is better than Eli Drinkwitz does. That much is clear. I'm not saying that he's going to win the Heisman Trophy next year or anything like that. But I, I just think he can be a solid starting quarterback for the Tigers. I really do. And for some reason, over and over again, Eli Drinkwitz is telling us that he doesn't think that. So we're going to find out this coming season who's right, for sure. And for Drinkwitz, well, for Drinkwitz's sake, I, I hope he's right. I hope he finds a, another guy that he's looking for. If, because right now, he's telling us that the past two years, he's basically done everything he can short of actually coming out and saying the words, I don't like Brady Cook as a quarterback. Because his actions are saying exactly that over and over and over again. And frankly, I don't, I don't fully understand that. Not saying Brady is a perfect player by any stretch of the imagination, 
Certainly, JT Daniels has more raw physical arm talent, but also, you know what? Brady Cook can run. He actually might be a better overall athlete than JT Daniels. So, to me, all of this factors in. It's not completely obvious to me whatsoever that, oh no, Missouri really lost out on something with Daniels. Maybe Daniels would have been good at Missouri. The guy has a heck of a lot of talent, but I think a lot of people are basing their evaluations of him purely on his high school grade, purely on the fact that he was a top five player, a five-star prospect, all that good stuff, and they haven't actually done the homework to see what he's done in college. And if you're going to sit here and tell me, well, Georgia was 7-0 and with him as a starter, fine and dandy, but look at who they actually played in those games because the talent deficiency that Georgia's opponents had in, in every single one of those ball games was, was pretty stark for the most part. So that's not going to be happening at Missouri next season. Missouri is going to be a, a favorite to win maybe four games next season, an obvious favorite, I should say. Who knows? Maybe against South Carolina, they'll be a three-point favorite or something like that. But again, that's a toss-up. I'm just saying games where they should obviously feel like they're going to win. Going to be less than five, folks. So we're going to need to win some close games next year without question because especially up front, there's going to be very few weeks in the Southeastern Conference, unlike the Georgia Bulldogs, where you're just going to expect to dominate the line of scrimmage, dominate the game in the trenches. That just doesn't really happen at Mizzou too often. So with all that being said, thanks for making this show your first listen. Make your second listen. Locked on NFL Draft with Ryan Tracy, former NFL corner Eric Crocker. They bring you the draft to life every day and get subscribed before the live NFL Draft special starts. It's free and available wherever you get your pods. So until next time, I'm John Miller, and this has been Locked on Mizzou.